leadership is a journey and leading your international school is an adventurous milestone from the three v's and learning to hr and culture from perspectives and governance to barriers and practices this adventure has it all hello everyone this is your host vikas and all of you out there who are leading and are aspiring to lead you are listening to the leading your international school podcast a show which brings to you practical tips to make your leadership and people count the podcast accompanies our forthcoming book leading your international schools and will be available on amazon and apple store for more details please do visit our website www.leadingyourinternationalschool.com in our first episode today we have as our guest krishnash a man of immense experience in education leadership and learning and is currently leading an international school in china this month today we will be talking with chris about the chapter of the month in the book and the name of the chapter is learning above all else so without further ado let me invite chris to introduce himself and let the conversation going chris over to you please so welcome to all the, the listeners and thank you to vikash for inviting me to share my ideas on the topic of the learning centered school this is something that's been important to me the whole of my life in education which started back in the 1980s so i was lucky enough to study for the pgce at the london university institute of education and certainly we put learning at the heart of our training there then for some 25 years i worked in various positions in schools in london in a london so quite challenging schools and the emphasis throughout my work there which was based on english teaching was really finding ways to put thinking skills language skills and obviously learning at the center of the curriculum and i was lucky enough to be the curriculum manager in a number of schools where i was able to develop quite a lot of useful practical ideas around the sorts of strategies that we need i also spent 10 years as a headmaster for a large secondary school in london and the school was awarded in 2010 an achievement prize by the uk government and that really was again based on making sure that we we were developing the learning skills of every young person in that school then in 2013 i was fortunate to gain a position for the startup of a brand new international school here in beijing which caters entirely for chinese students so i've been able to apply lots of practices that i developed with specific regard to bilingual learners all of our students are bilingual chinese so i again have had to focus on putting lessons that i learned in a uk context about putting leadership and learning at the front of school development instructional leadership if that's a phrase that we want to use so i've had to put those now into an international context and i'll be sharing some of the experiences and some of the lessons that i've learned from that with our listeners today of course i hope that some of you will also go to our excellent new book 
how to lead your international school or leading your international school, where you will see many of the these ideas are developed in even more detail than I will in our podcast today. Thank you, Chris. I think a uh, quite interesting uh, aspect you've touched and a rich of experience which you've talked about. Yes, surely to just to remind our listeners, we are looking at leading your international school and the top tips to that. However, there is one thing, Chris, which I am sure you and our listeners would agree. The things which we've talked about so far, two words keep coming up, leadership and learning, leadership and learning. And I'm here reminded of JFK's John F. Kennedy's quote when he said, leadership and learning are indispensable to each other. Well, at the very outset, let me put it across to you. I've often heard this phrase, Chris, learning-centered education, institution, school. But surely, that's a truism. What else should a school be but learning-centered, Krish? Well, Vikash, you'd certainly think so, wouldn't you? <laughs> it's hard to imagine a school which isn't learning-centered because you've got young people, you've got teachers, you've got classrooms. So obviously, the main business of those people should all be learning. However, in my 20, almost 30 years of school leadership, you'd be surprised to find how many things actually take your focus instead of learning. That's the lesson that I want to draw for aspirational leaders who are tuning in to us today. You need to be aware that as you rise in leadership, actually you are going to be pushed almost by forces that sometimes seem out of your control further away from the thing that brought you into education in the first place, which, of course, is the craft of teaching. So if I look back now, Vikash, on my own career, what I will see is receding concentric rings, starting in the classroom. But as I grew in my leadership, I was taken further and further down the corridor to offices further and further away from the classroom itself. I guess it's what people would call the bureaucracy of leadership. And it is very hard for leaders to resist this expectation that there will be a shift of focus away from classrooms. And for me, there's a wonderful phrase that I use when I think about this conundrum. And that phrase in English is the thick of thin things. The thick of thin things. A little bit of philosophy for our listeners. So what does this mean? Well, it means that our attention as leaders is taken up by time-consuming tasks that actually have little meaningful impact on the core business of teaching and learning. So don't get me wrong, I'm not demeaning some of these tasks. They obviously are very important things, particularly perhaps in your international context. So you will want to do things like engage with the community. You will be pressured to have endless meetings with stakeholders, and none of these can be neglected. And this is where we're going in our conversation today. As an effective head, you will find ways that keep direct connections with the classrooms in your school. Some of you, no doubt, will do this through teaching, which is very well-intentioned, very noble, and very honorable. But 
you have to be prepared to see that commitment through. So if you commit yourself to a timetable, it is essential that just like every other teacher in your school, you are there in the classroom at the right time, delivering excellent quality lessons. You might think that as the head, you can drop in and out of lessons. But ask yourself, is that fair on the students? Absolutely not. And what kind of example would you be setting to your teaching team? So you must be prepared to do the same level of planning and marking and assessment that you expect from your teaching team. I tried that. And you know what? It nearly killed me. It nearly killed me. <laughs> so what I would argue, what I would propose to our listeners today is that if they really want to make the learning-centered approach work in their international school, that they need to shift their role towards that of being the lead coach and mentor for the professional learning of teachers. And I think that is where we can have this meaningful impact on the quality of learning in classrooms across our schools. That's quite insightful and in-depth, Chris. And yes, you've ended this question with the two words, coaching and mentoring. However, while you were talking and keeping in mind the question I had, there were two things which came to my mind, which take me to the top tips, which the author of the book, your colleague and our friend Andre, had given me once. And he said, a learning-centered school is not acquisition or participation oriented. It is a successful blend of both. And I think you touched that when you said you can't shift away from classroom, you know, the thick of thin things, as you said, that very mm. aptly puts it across. Good teachers and their learners know how each supports learning. Exactly what you said. And also the fact that learning today, especially when you go on to coaching and mentoring, has evolved a lot. The way we acquire information has rapidly evolved. Therefore, maintaining and being relevant is the key. And hence, I think the next my next question about coaching and mentoring is very important because coaching and mentoring to stay relevant has also to evolve. So how do you, my dear friend Chris, how do you organize this sort of coaching and mentoring? Excellent question. So I hope that again, the listeners, if they look into Leading Your International School or on our website, we'll see that we are proposing a, a model of what high-performance teaching and learning looks like. And I think that's where I would advise the leader, or maybe you know, you've just been appointed to a new startup, international school. So I would advise you that the first step would be to have a, a shared model of what you want teaching and learning to look like. You can't assume that everybody in that school is going to have the same idea in their head, especially in an international school where you might have an international uh, workforce with teachers from a variety of different backgrounds. So I would advise you to work with your staff. Maybe you need a working party with a cross-section of teachers, and you are going to develop a teaching and learning policy. And this policy is going to describe and explain best classroom practice. I think it's then vital, Vikash, and we argue this in the book, 
that we have stakeholder involvement and ownership of key policies in the school. So it's not just teachers who need to own this teaching and learning policy. Your students are key customers, but I would argue that parents, governors, investors, owners, all of these that we call the stakeholders also need to understand the model of learning that you are putting into the classroom. And there's a very practical reason for that. As you know, Vikash, an international school is going to be visited. It's going to be quite public in many ways. For example, you might find the investors, the owners, walking through the school, visiting classrooms. Imagine the scenario where an owner or some other very influential person finds her or himself watching a lesson which fits the school policies that you've set out, but for some reason, whatever reason, this individual sees that as a failing lesson because they're bringing different ideas and standards. And not only that, imagine now that they then go public with their views. You can see that that would be a disastrous scenario. And in an international school, that has the possibilities of leading to further problems because we always have to, in our international setting, be culturally sensitive. And we have to recognize that there are different cultural values about what good teaching and learning looks like. So part of this dialogue about what good learning is is making sure that there is a shared understanding of international teaching methods and local teaching styles. And this is something I've learned from my, my, my work in China. So let's take an example so I'm being very clear. In typical Western lesson, we would say that good learning is happening where the students are very lively. There's a lot of spontaneity and, and personal responses to things, a sort of enthusiasm about learning. And you'd walk away thinking the students were really engaged. The teacher was doing a great job in terms of getting those children enthused about their learning. But what I quickly learned is that that is not a universal value. And in Chinese thinking about learning, actually, there would be some disapproval of this sort of spontaneity. Because from a Chinese point of view, stillness, quietness, controlling your emotions, taking the time to consider knowledge is seen as being of extremely high value. And so when I talk to my Western colleagues, I would hear them being quite exasperated, complaining that their Chinese students were too passive or too quiet. And I had to learn to understand the value of both approaches. They both have aspects which help us to improve learning. There's a place for both learning styles. And the critical thing to come back to our learning policy is that it needs to capture all of that. It needs to be comprehensive so that anyone referring to it will have a holistic understanding of what learning is going to look like in the school. It's been codified, if you like. So, my advice to someone starting their new school 
beginning the work of coaching teachers is make sure you all start on the same page with a common language about what good teaching and learning looks like. That is a very, very insightful practice and tip which you've talked about, Krish. Before we move on, for the listeners who might have joined us now, just wanted to remind that you are listening to the Leading Your International podcast with me, Vikas. With me is Chris Nash, our first guest for this month. And we are talking about learning above all else, a key chapter you will find in the book, Leading Your International School, which is forthcoming now. All right, moving forward. I think the strategies which you've talked about are quite interesting, quite insightful. I have often myself felt, seen, and have also been told that feedback is a very important part of these learning-centered processes. Feedback is a very important part of coaching, of having the correct and desired outcomes of coaching and mentoring as a practice. So have you got any thoughts on, to share on feedback? I mean, you know, feedback, what is it? How is it? And how, why is it important? Yes. Absolutely. I think that feedback is actually at the heart of getting this right. As educators, we need to begin by seeing a parallel between student learning and professional learning. They're not dissimilar. So when we work with students, we know that if we can help these students to gain a better understanding of strengths and weaknesses as learners and give them clear improvement plans, there will be significant gains. You may have heard that John Hattie is in the process of rewriting visible learning, talking about effectiveness and impact. Uh, apparently, there's a new book, a revised version of that famous tome on its way. But in the original version, John Hattie was very clear that feedback is one of the leading tools for improving learning, certainly in the top 10. But we also know as educators that we have to invest time that making sure that students understand what they need to take away from feedback. John Hattie points out that increasing the amount, the volume of feedback is not really going to make any difference. The difference begins when you are sure that the students have interpreted the feedback in the right way and that they leave the feedback session based on this interpretation with a mini action plan. What I would advise is that you apply exactly the same principles to teachers' professional learning. So how would I advise you to go about that? First of all, I would say that we should be ensuring that the feedback is timely. That means that it should be as close as possible to the observations that you have made in the colleague's classroom. I always set myself a next day deadline. That's to go back to something we were talking about earlier, the thick of thin things. The point of having that time scale is to make sure that the feedback is given priority. You can imagine the opposite scenario, that you delay giving the feedback, the teacher comes to see you, and you apologize and say, I'm sorry, I'll get round to it when I can. How would the colleague feel? What sort of value are you putting on learning if you do that? The details of the lesson must still be in the teacher's mind. 
So that's the reason for giving prompt and timely feedback. Secondly, just as in student feedback, we would be wanting to work with the student understandings of what is going on in their learning. In our professional feedback with teachers, we should be focusing on the teacher's understandings and justifications for what happened in the lesson. So I would not start my feedback session by presenting my findings. My opening is always to invite the teacher to share her or his evaluation of the lesson. Key points. So you're starting off with, with listening. You're absolutely, as a coach in that situation, being non-judgmental, which I think is absolutely critical if we want people to be open, honest, transparent with us. In fact, what we are doing in that conversation is trying to empower the colleague to identify her or his own weaknesses and to self-diagnose. I think that's the ultimate aim of the feedback work. Just as with the students, we want to develop their metacognition, their ability to reflect and to manage their own learning better in the future. So with professional development, we have the same objective. Let's just talk a little bit about logistics. The time and the place of giving feedback really matters. On no account, try to give feedback in a corridor. That is going to lead to embarrassment and confusion for students who are passing by, for the colleague, and for other colleagues, it gives very negative signals about the value of professional learning. A second point I would make about logistics is the timing of giving feedback. Of course, it might seem quite natural to you to call the colleague in at the end of the day when you've been dealing with a number of other important pressing leadership matters. So you say, could you please come to my office at the end of the school day? But please bear in mind that that colleague has been teaching throughout the day and that teaching can be, is frequently a stressful activity and certainly absorbs the mental energy of the colleague. So they might not be in the best frame of mind to speak to you at that particular time. In other words, please use your emotional intelligence to find an optimum time for yourself and for the colleague that is going to be productive. Let me just come to the international context. Please bear in mind as well the issue of translation. So in my school, Vikash, there are a number of teachers who are bilingual. There's no doubt about that. But they would benefit in a feedback situation from having support from a colleague who speaks their, their mother tongue. That's because there might be some fine points, some inferences that you need to discuss with them that could easily be lost in translation. So I think that if we follow these points, we will have the right kind of relationships because this is very relationship-based and most importantly, be able to have productive, challenging conversations 
that are action orientated that lead to change and improvement in the classroom? Well, that was quite, quite interesting practical tips, sir, Krish. And you know what? Listening to you brings me to the fact that when you talk about feedback and the aspects which you spoke about, all these could come into picture, all these could come into action if we have certain behaviors of learning in place, which would lead to develop a learning climate. Chris, we've talked about learning above all else. We've talked about learning-centered classroom. But as an international school principal, what behaviors and skill do you think will allow this to happen? You've used the word climate, which I, I absolutely agree with. I might also want to introduce the word of culture. In other words, developing within your whole school community a culture of learning. So what, what would we mean by this? Well, I'm sure that if you think back to your own education, if I think back to mine, there was certainly a culture of achievement. So, you know, schools will display cups and medals of all the winners of competitions. There could even be photographs of high achievers. In my school, there was an honors board. The name of everybody who went off to university was proudly recorded for all of eternity so that we would look up to these high achieving students. But just ask yourself, listeners, for a moment, is that the same as a culture of learning? I worry that this achievement culture actually can be counterproductive because it gives quite a narrow idea about what learning is. And actually, if you think about your whole school population, it can give messages to some students that their learning is of less value. Think about the position of the student whose name never appears on the honor board, whose name is never engraved on a cup, whose name is never proudly written up on a certificate to be displayed up on the school wall. The little steps of progress that these students make in learning also need to be visible in my point of view, from my point of view. Just recall to mind briefly Carol Dweck and her research into fixed mindsets. We know that students, vulnerable students, can quickly adopt this way of thinking whereby they don't see themselves as learners. And if you constantly celebrate a narrow range of high achievers, maybe from one particular cultural group, maybe one particular gender, then you've given some very powerful messages about learning. So what would my answer be to this? Well, my answer would be to focus on progress, not to replace achievement, but alongside achievement, to work into the narrative about your school that you tell as a leader, that it's not just about the heroic leap to the top, but it's also about small steps. And if you can amplify and emphasize this message, and if you can get every teacher to also echo this message, then you will be giving a, a powerful signal that the learning 
of every student matters. So that's not about lowering standards. You're not saying that everybody has to have a prize. What you're saying rigorously is that the learning and determination of the child who goes from E to C is every bit as demanding and important as the child who goes from B to A. Now, that can be a difficult message, Vikash, to, to, to put over. For example, some cultures have an emphasis on high achievement and a suspicion of students getting lower grades. That's certainly true in China, where there is a, a cultural expectation backed up by the families that really only the highest grades have value. But I've had to work with that culture because not all of my students immediately get the A and the S star, A star grades. And I've had to work into the culture of my school with parents, with teachers, with students, a recognition of the value of learning and progress. It's a negotiation, a negotiation to improve the dialogue, the culture within the school. And I think that whatever international context you're in, you can find allies in the local culture that will help you to put this emphasis on learning. So through my research in Chinese culture, I found a rich vein of traditional stories which talk about persistence and determination. Uh, there's a wonderful story about a student from a poor background who has to work in the dark because his family can't afford a candle. And in the end, I think with his father's help, he makes a small hole through to the house next door where they do have some light. And he moves his desk closer to this small hole so a little bit of light can come through the hole. And he uses this to finish his studies. Growth mindset. I think when I listen to you, the growth yep. mindset can lead to a lot of, lot of learning irrespective of the circumstances, obviously backed by some solid, tested behaviors. Now, we are coming close to the end of our session, Chris, but I have a couple of my viewpoints to conclude, plus one last question to ask you so that our listeners, I think that's very important, vital for our listeners, that it comes from you. So you provided to this question, very, very important question of the development of behavior of learning, which allows to develop a learning climate in the classroom and in this institution and in the school. I myself had, you know, some very interesting uh, aspects about this thing, which about this question, which I had experienced. And, you know, when I spoke to people, I, they came out. And I think we've also had to have this in our book. Let me share it with our listeners as well. And you can reflect on those if you have certain points for those. I think. The behaviors you need to develop a learning climate. First is the learning focused and an understanding of different metaphors of learning. A belief and philosophy that views leadership for learning and the principle as a critical leveler on students' outcomes. High function collaboration. I think teamwork without teamwork and collaboration between all stakeholders, none of the behaviors and none of the learning can happen. Va high uh, value agencies. How can we have learning if we do not have values? 
value agency of staff, students. Now, this provides an opportunity, an ongoing opportunity for responsible decision making. Because obviously, you know, our learning is shaped by the value system, our backgrounds, our, our the way we are brought up. Respecting diversity, acceptance above all. Don't we see the, the diversity of opinions we would all have, especially with respect to international teaching practices. It shows the commitment to that very, very important term called inclusion or inclusive learning. So if you respect diversity, you respect opinions, you can actually scaffold flowering of learning. And as you had once said during the session, course of the session, professional concern, not just development. So not just professional development, but professional concern. Because students perceive educators as personally concerned about them as individuals. This is what I quote from Wilson's. The fact that, and I've experienced this myself, this connect with students. The fact that if the students know that you care, the students know that you're concerned, the learning is going to come. They will do that. But if they know that you are not concerned and not caring, learning will not happen. Very important that uh, learn to develop a learning climate, to develop a learning-centered school, to develop a learning-centered leadership, to develop learning above all else, we have these behaviors. So just to get to our listeners again, you are listening to the Leading Your International School podcast with me, Vikas, and our first catch. Chris, we've had a very, very engaging very, very insightful session so far. And Chris has given some amazing practical tips. Chris, to conclude our session, I would want you and I would request you what three tips you can give to our listeners to keep learning at the center of their leadership. I would advise that you need to present yourself in the role of the lead learner for your school. After all, if you are going to have a learning-centered culture, it begins and ends with you. And you can choose to present yourself not as the head of answers, but as the head of questions. That matters, for example, when you're in professional learning opportunities. You should be taking part alongside your colleagues, showing that you also value the professional learning that is happening. I would also say that you can make this into a position that is both philosophical and practical. We talked about Carol Dweck. She argues for the power of not yet. That means it's fine for you as the lead inquiry-based learning practitioner of the school to also say, we don't know the answers to that yet, but it's an important question and we're going to work on it together. That's actually a way of distributing leadership, of distributing the ownership of the vision and values of your school and engaging your staff in better quality professional reflection and inquiry. So I think that as well as all of the other little tips and strategies that I've shared today, I would ask our prospective leaders in an international context to be self-reflective and to reflect on the way that they can present themselves in ways that give these powerful signals 
about the value of learning on professional level, on a personal level, on a community level, and sustainably through the whole school. That was a very interesting reflection. Yes, I think sustainability is the key word. Sustainability of education is the key word. Sustainability and expansion of education and in a balanced approach, which has both participation and acquisition at the core. And the absolutely ever-changing and evolving atmosphere has to be adapted with. I think that's been a very, very insightful session for me. And before we end, I think I would want to leave a question of reflection for our audience till we meet for our next episode. And that question would be, what is the core of your school's learning journey? In the next show, next month, we will be talking to Mr. Barry Cooper, the principal of Global College Madrid. And I leave you with that one hook, the three Vs. Listeners, you can visit our social media handles, put your thoughts, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and of course, our website, www.leadinginternationalschools.com. So till we meet again, have a good day and take care. This is your host, Vikas, and our first guest, Chris, signing off. Thank you. Until we meet again.